Today's reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. If you want to follow along, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to the Leewood campus. Uh, my name is Tom Nelson, and that text is a wonderful text for us to reflect on this morning, because Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that I will build my church. What did Jesus have in mind? Well, one of the things that's important, I think, for us to grasp this morning is that Jesus had you in mind. He had, yes, me, even me, a little old sinner me. He had me in mind, and he had Christ's community in mind as well. Now, this morning, we are going to have a bit of a family chat. Uh, Our elder leadership team, periodically, we communicate kind of who we are, where we're heading. And uh, this Sunday and then the next couple of Sundays, we are going to have sort of this conversation. And and, uh, I hope it encourages you and challenges you. I'm excited to be a part of uh, giving that as our leadership team. Also, if you are visiting this morning, uh, if you are a guest... I want to give you a very warm welcome and also say this is a great morning to be here uh, because it allows you to sort of peek into our congregation and hopefully what we believe and what we're about, and I hope it encourages you. And if you are uh, visiting with the intention of uh, looking for a church home, uh, this is a great morning to kind of, you know, kick the wheels a little bit, look inside and see what's here. So uh, I want to, again, uh, thank you for being here this morning. Well, Christ's community is an interesting story. Actually, it's rather amazing. Uh, We might say miraculous. And uh, Christ Community began 23 years ago uh, when Liz and I moved here from Dallas and moved to a little apartment on the next to Kansas. And there were three of us, two of us and our six-month-old son. I looked younger then, so I think we have some pictures we're going to (laughs) tell you. What do you think of that stash? You know, should I try? Anyway, that's another story. But I also had a tie on uh, but uh, we began uh, Christ Community and uh, through some homes, and then we ended up starting our first service, May uh, or March of 1989, in an office building at 83rd and Mission Road. And this is a picture. I guess you're going ahead of me. That's fine. And then we were there for a while, went to another school, and then we moved to Overland Trail Middle School in 1990. Uh, we were a garage sale church. That's what they called it. You put your sign up on Saturday, you show up at a school on Sunday, and then you take it all down. You know, it's really cool, actually. Uh, so here's a picture of that, and then we took the big step of faith in 1990. Can you imagine? Uh, we called it our great adventure, and uh, we uh, purchased this land, this land that the Leewood campus is uh, sitting on now, and began the journey of moving from being just nomadic to being a people with a place. Uh, we started with, up in the left-hand corner, our office building, which was like trailers, and uh, when we uh, closed these, Pastor Kevin, who was just up here, Uh, He had tears in his eyes because he loved those trailers so much. 
It's a fun story. And then up on this side was what was called the Kea House, just a little bit of history. It was an old farmhouse on this beautiful bucolic land that we have. And uh, there were more critters in there than kids, uh, which is kind of a fun story. So we were a motley band. I mean, this, this is really fun. It's all about, you know, when you follow our history, you know God had to do it because none of us had anything special going for us. And um, in, 19, uh, in 2000, we broke ground in the, in the space where we are sitting right now. You can see some of our hard hats and what this phase one looked like. We moved into, two, into this campus, uh, this space in 2000. So look at our first Sunday. And we moved in debt-free. It was an amazing morning. Uh, if you were there, uh, it was a tingling moment of God's blessing uh, on, as we moved in in 2000. And then we continued to grow. We purchased the crossing, which allowed our students, we had no room, our students to be in Martin City. Uh, and then we uh, uh, began to add our second phase in 2004. And so we added the extra phase for children and so forth on the Leewood campus. And this is how the Leewood campus uh, currently looks. From the beginning of Christ Community, we had a heart to reach our city. Um, and uh, we began to s- seek out other places where Christ community could find a more permanent expression of space. And through some wonderful pioneers, in fact, two of them were in the first service, Ron and Judy Pittenger, a handful of people in Olathe had started this congregation, Pioneers of Faith. And our lives intersected, and they wanted another church and a younger crew, I guess, to kind of help give leadership And uh, God gave us this beautiful facility of 11 acres, this beautiful building in Olathe. We received it in 2006, and since that time, God has allowed that congregation, our campus, to flourish in Olathe. It's amazing. Uh, Two years ago, because of your generosity, we added on to this facility to make it real dynamic, and it's a beautiful facility that is flourishing on our Olathe campus. We also wanted to begin to have a presence downtown so we had some pioneers a couple years ago, begin a congregation downtown. And here's an example right in the middle of Screenland, this cool artsy theater where uh, our downtown campus pioneers are meeting. I had the joy of being there just a few weeks ago. And they continue to grow and continue to have an impact in our city center. Some of you might be aware that uh, this year we also had a wonderful moment of God's blessing of this provision of this beautiful facility Uh, A gracious donor donated the resources to renovate this beautiful historic building on Warnell Road in Brookside, and we are just really thrilled about the team that God has brought. Uh, We are going to, as Pastor Kevin said, uh, begin our first service on the 9th of September, our grand opening on the 30th. And uh, it is truly extraordinary how God continues to bless Christ's community in our expression as we touch our entire city. This story really tells us how God has continued to bless Christ's community in so many ways. In 23 years, God has used Christ's community in many ways to bless and transform thousands of people. This past week, one of the joys I have of being given a front row seat um, since the very beginning, the joys I have is I have contact with people who have been touched uh, through Christ's community's history. Uh, Liz and I received a phone call uh, a week or so ago from someone we hadn't seen in quite a while. We remember her like this. She was five years old. She's right in the middle in this blue, or I'm sort of called by her name, Sarah. Sarah Sample. We remember her when she was five years of age, when she and her family came to Christ's community and was at our first gathering in March of 1989. Picture with me, 
Little Dynamo Sarah was five years old. And so we get this phone call from Sarah Sample, who now looks like this, who is getting ready to get married to this wonderful man, Brian. And she shows up at our doorstop, and we talk about the past, about her life and are going to be a part of her wedding in a while. And she was telling us again how as a young person, and if you're younger here today, I want you to understand, if you're a parent with small children, the most transformative time in her life was being a part of a local church as a child. And she wrote me this wonderful little note. She said to me, Tom, the experiences and principles I learned at Christ Community are strong roots of faith, and I am forever grateful for them. And listen to what she says. I want nothing more than for my future family to not only know, but to always be growing in faith and active members of a vibrant local church community. There are many, many Sarahs. And over the last two decades, now in our third decade of ministry, God has blessed us in amazing ways. And from the very beginning, and you're really glad about this, Christ's community hasn't built, been built around me or a personality. I've been told I lack that personality. <laughs> but it has been centered from the very beginning, you all, with our mission statement. Our mission statement has guided us, and that is to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and our world for Jesus Christ. I want you to know just the sequential progression embedded in this statement. We are called, first of all, to be a caring. Those were caring, multiplying, and influencing. This is our mission. From the very beginning, inside this mission is the fabric of faithfulness with five strands of core DNA that capture who we are. Who is Christ's community? Much has changed in the 23 years, but this is bedrock stuff. Can I use that language? That has not changed. It is who we are. It is the beautiful tapestry of Christ's community. And some of our pastoral leaders, this past week, communicated in a beautiful way via video just a glimpse of their heart and these five strands of our core DNA of who we are. Watch these pastoral leaders share. If God is truly good and just, then he must eradicate all evil and injustice from the world he has made, right? But this leads us to an important question. How can he do so without destroying you and me who are so wittingly and unwittingly complicit in these things? Can we be rescued from our destructive way of life? Can we have a relationship with a truly just God? Christians have always held that what Christ did on the cross makes it possible for God to set the world right without destroying us, and it is what enables us to enter the life that we were designed to live. In short, the cross is shorthand for the message of the gospel. The word gospel is a translation of an ancient Greek word that means good news. The gospel is not good advice about what we can do to rescue ourselves. Rather, the gospel is good news about what God has already done to rescue us. The cross is at the heart of the gospel. It is what enables us to live the life we were designed to live. It infuses our work and our recreation with new hope 
and meaning. It reorders our love. It frees us from our constant need of approval from others because we have the approval of the only one whose opinion ultimately matters, God's. The cross changes everything. One of the most memorable invitations my wife Liz and I ever received arrived in the mail with an embossed envelope that read, The White House, 1500 Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C. Our hearts skipped a beat when we realized we were being invited by the president to attend a celebration at our nation's capital, and we responded with an enthusiastic yes, and it wasn't a hard decision. Invitations come in many shapes and sizes, and they make our lives happier for them, but not all invitations are equal. The significance of an invitation is determined not by the kind of paper it's printed on, but the kind of person who is extending to us the invitation. While it is quite extraordinary thing to be invited by a president who is the leader of our country, it is much more extraordinary to be extended a personal invitation by the creator of the world. That this is precisely what Jesus does to you and me and what we at Christ Community refer to as the great invitation. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In his great invitation, Jesus invites us to enter his yoke where we can live the life we were originally designed to live before our lives were broken as a result of sin. The yoke is a metaphorical picture, actually, that Jesus paints for those of us who desire to be his true disciples. While the yoke was often a symbol of enslavement, paradoxically, Jesus uses it as a symbol of ultimate freedom and the path to spiritual growth and increasing Christ-likeness. The true disciple enters the yoke of Jesus, following his lead, and learns from Jesus just as an apprentice learns from a master craftsman or a resident doctor learns from an established physician. Entering Jesus' yoke is both a decisive act of submission as well as a daily lifestyle of submission. In his yoke, we can experience the life we were designed to live the life we long to live, the life he has now made possible for us to live through his atoning blood on the cross. The cross of Christ leads us to the yoke of Christ. I have always struggled with this book, the Bible. There are parts I don't understand, parts I don't particularly like, and frankly, parts that are just really hard to believe. Now, I've worked through many of my intellectual doubts. Can it be trusted? Yes, I believe it can. But is it really worth it? We all approach this book differently. Maybe you don't believe this is God's word. It's just another book. Or maybe you do believe, at least in theory, but it's not really that important to you. You just sort of pick and choose. For others, though, this book changes everything. It is your life and it is your authority. If there is a God who made us, and if he really does speak to us, what could be more important? The one who loves us, who knows best how our world should work, and who knows exactly what he expects from his creation. He speaks to us. We're desperate for understanding and wisdom, life in the form of words, breathed into these pages by the living God, proclaimed to us. God is speaking. Are we listening? As a church, we base everything we are and everything we do on this book. Whether you're a skeptic or believer, come to this book with reverence rather than flippancy. Come with teachability rather than arrogance and look for the God who rescues on every page. 
This is God's word for you, for me, and for our church. And in these words, we discover what we were created for. God is speaking. Are you listening? Before I became a Christian, the concept of church was a bit confusing to me. Is church a building? Is it a glorified support group? Is it Catholic? Is it Protestant? The word just seemed ambiguous to me. Now, one thing I knew, whatever church was, I didn't want to join one. Obviously, now that I'm a pastor, things have changed. But the way I felt about church as a young man is an increasingly popular sentiment in our culture today. Many people, in fact, remain interested in Jesus, but they want very little to do with his church. Now, the funny thing is, Jesus never allows for this kind of dichotomy, because when you actually listen to Jesus, you see that the more you want to know and belong to him, the more you must know and belong to his church. That's because the church is Jesus' body, it's his bride, it's his beloved. You simply can't have one without the other. So why do we still hesitate? Well, probably because no church is perfect. There's always a current event in the news, a hypocritical person that we know, or a past pain we can point to that excuses us from moving forward. I don't imagine the blatant imperfections of church to go away anytime soon. That's because every church, though always growing in her identity in Christ, is still full of people who are sinning, who are struggling, and who are broken. Dysfunction happens. But this has never stopped Jesus from loving and nurturing and equipping his church, and it shouldn't stop us either. Because when we're honest, we know if we ever found the perfect church, we couldn't join it because we would ruin it. No matter where you are in your faith journey, Jesus wants you to know him. His design for your life is better than anything the world has to offer. But you cannot find it alone. You need other people. You need the church. And the church needs you. I remember wrestling through how my personal faith intersected with my public life and how gatherings as a body of believers impacted the rest of the week. It was that now what moment in my Christian journey. I remember asking, is the Christian life really only telling my friends about Jesus so they can sing songs with us on Sunday until God takes us away from this messed up and hostile world? I know this question may haunt some of you as well, but there is good news. It's true that God's plan is more all-encompassing than this. The Christian life, as it was designed to be, can not only be about Sunday morning gatherings, but it must also answer how we are to faithfully interact with our fragmented society. Why does God still have us here in this city? And how do I interact with my neighbors, city, and world? As a church, we believe we are to be about both individual transformation and cultural influence through intentional partnerships within our city and world. We know that we are only a church in God's massive plan of redemption. So we've joined strategically placed institutions who are better equipped for this dynamic impact. This doesn't mean that we've shirked our responsibility or are not involved, but rather that means we're joyfully not alone. We learn from and give alongside our brothers and sisters who are uniquely gifted to bring lasting change. So whether you're a new Christian or not, this may be a paradigm shift in how you see your placement in this city. We would love to have you participate in giving of yourself for our neighborhood, city, and world. Are you willing to join us? Yes, I'm one of the older ones of our teaching team, huh? You know, but... Uh... What a joy it is to serve with these fine teachers and these fine young men. And uh, I'm delighted that they communicated with their hearts about who we are 
and our core. This morning, we have five icons we want to help or communicate to you to help you remember, on behalf of our elder leadership team, who we are. You'll notice the cross, the yoke, the Bible, church, and city. These five little images or icons are on this little green band. And uh, I don't often wear a lot of bands. Maybe you're into a lot of bands. Um, If you are into wearing it, we encourage you to pick it up on the way out. There's a place for you to pick it up. As a reminder to pray for Christ's community, a reminder who we are. Or if you're not into wearing bands, you might take it and put it on your dresser or, I don't know, sometimes a rearview mirror in your car or something to remember who we are. And so we have given that for you. I encourage you to take advantage of that, to remember who we are, and to pray. Now, on this band, there are five icons that capture the core of who we are. Our teaching team leaders have communicated that to us via video, but let me just highlight briefly those five for us this morning and a key text of Holy Scripture that embed those. First of all, we began, as Pastor Bill did, with the cross. And we've said we believe the finished work of Christ on the cross makes it possible to enter the life we were designed to live. At Christ's community, we love the cross and its significance. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, that capture the core of the gospel. And that is, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The cross is where God's love and mercy meet. It is on the cross where God's holy wrath was satisfied for our sin. And Jesus paid all our sin and took God's holy wrath on Him. And He offers to each one of us as a free gift of His grace, forgiveness of sins and the life, the new life we were originally created to live way back in the Garden of Eden before we fell into sin. The gospel changes everything. It is at the centerpiece of our lives. It transforms who we are at our core being. It transforms how we see the world. It transforms what we love and how we love it. The gospel transforms everything. It is important for us to grasp at Christ's community that we are a gospel-centered people. But the gospel leads us to the yoke. That's the second image that we highlight in the great invitation, that we believe we become the people of God, designed us to be in the yoke of Jesus Christ. For some of us, the word yoke is not a common one. If we came into the church sanctuary at our campuses, you see a yoke, you think this is kind of an you know, interesting Western motif. But the yoke is a primary metaphor or symbol that Jesus paints for us and the yoke is not something you put, you know, get in an egg. It's not about an egg McMuffin. It's about a McDonald's golden arch. The yoke is just like a McDonald's golden arch. Just turn it upside down with a bar across it. In the first century, Jesus uses this picture to describe two oxen placed together to learn how to grow and to become what they were created to be. And a farmer placed them together in the yoke. And it was in the yoke they became who they were created to be and their contribution in the world. And Jesus paints this picture of spiritual formation and transformation with him. 
And in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus gives us this marvelous invitation. Let me say that again to you, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This word rest is a picture of the life we were created to live in Genesis 1 and 2. It is a life you long to live. It's a life I long to live. The deepest longings of my heart. It is what we so deeply desire. And Jesus invites us to live this life we have lost, the life we long to live. And he says, how do you do that? How do you experience the deepest longings of your heart? You take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I am gentle and humble of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At Christ's community, we believe our Lord Jesus Christ is creator, redeemer. He is the savior and Lord of all. But he is also our master, brilliant teacher, because the Apostle Paul says that in Jesus Christ are hidden all, all wisdom and knowledge, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What I want you to grasp this morning is that Jesus is not only creator, redeemer, Jesus is the most brilliant being of the universe. He knows everything about everything. He knows everything about your life. And you are privileged, I am privileged to learn from him and to become like him, to be his disciple or his apprentice. We see this transformation take place at Christ's community often, particularly through our razor's edge pathway. Pastor Nathan, uh, you heard him speak so beautifully about the Word of God, our campus pastor in Olathe. Recently, a new family who have started attending our Olathe campus wrote Pastor Nathan a note. And I wanted to share parts of it with you because of the profound transformation Christ's community is having in the life of this precious family. She writes this as finishing last year's razor's edge. She says, having been a Christian since the age of eight and always feeling like it was just something I was supposed to do, I eventually ended up in a place where I questioned my faith altogether and I quit attending church. For some of us, that might be our narrative right now. I run into many people like that. And then she says, it came as such a relief to me to feel such an excitement for the church again. She says, my husband was also seeing some of those really big questions that we all have. But it was addressed in a manner that wasn't threatening or hypocritical. To my husband, the Bible seemed full of events that seemed so hard to believe. But instead of being turned off from church, he found he too was being drawn to God's message week after week. And she says, our journey landed us in Razor's Edge where God's word just came together for me for the first time. And I love this, she says, as a mom, you know, she says, one of the greatest gifts to me is my children have loved Christ Community Church. They have fallen in love with her. She writes, it is clear my children have fallen in love with Christ's community too. And then I love this part. She says, my kids love to come to church. And believe it or not, they don't always associate it with donuts. <laughs> if you're newer to Christ's community, we're called the donut church, right? See, over the years, hundreds and hundreds of people have been impacted through this pathway called Razor's Edge. Because in Razor's Edge, we begin to understand the life we long to live and how to live it as an apprentice of the most brilliant being of the universe. It transforms us inside out. The cross and the yoke. 
But the third core value, the third strand of DNA in this beautiful fabric called Christ's community is the Bible itself. Notice we say we believe the Bible reveals God's design for all of life. Christ's community, we are a people of this book. We love this book, all 66 books of canonical scripture. We love this book. We cherish this book. We read this book. This book is hidden in our heart, and we apply its truths to all of life. This book, we not only read, it reads us. It is living and breathing because it is inspired by God himself. Paul writes to Timothy these words in 1 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness or right living, that the man of God or the person of God may be complete, that means mature, equipped for every good work. In Christ's community, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take God's word very seriously. We teach it, we love it, we teach it with accuracy according to the original writer's intentions and language. We teach it with clarity. We teach it with relevance and application to our life. One of the things I'm most excited about in 2013, because we are a people of his book, we are going to take 52 weeks beginning the first week in January. I call it the big year. And we, for all ages, if you're younger or older, in between, we are going to look at this book in 52 messages from Genesis to Revelation, God's great story. And we are going to have a reading plan where you can read all the Scripture or one chapter a day that follows the story with us. It is going to be an awesome journey in 2013. The cross, the yoke, the Bible, and the church. We believe that the primary context in which we are to experience the life God designed us to live is the local church. The Bible speaks much about the church. The primary emphasis of the church in the New Testament is a local church set in time and space in geography. Yes, the church is global, it's invisible, it's broad, but it is primarily local where you and I gather each Sunday morning to worship Him. Paul emphasizes the local church primarily in the book of Ephesians. And the Ephesians, he says these words, chapter 1, God has put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That is, all the global church, the invisible church, and us, the local church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, Jesus' real manifest presence is made known to us in our world through the local expression of his church. We are his mind, his heart, his hands to a broken and lost world. We reflect his glory. We point to who Jesus is individually and collectively. That is the primary way the world knows God exists and who Jesus is and the glory of our Lord Jesus. There is simply no way to follow Jesus fully and completely without being deeply embedded in his local church. Jesus loves the local church so much, he describes it as his his bride. This is stunning. Because as much as I love it when people tell me they love me, what gives me most joy is when they brag on my bride lips. 
Jesus' most precious love language is when we love his church, his bride. To love Jesus is to love his church passionately. We believe at Christ's community. We believe this since day one, and we continue to believe it. If you were to cut my veins right here, don't do that. It would bleed with this truth. We believe the local church as God designed it is at the very heart of God's redemptive enterprise in the world, and it is the hope of the world. We believe this based on theological, biblical convictions of what the scriptures teach. It is not for us to brag about. It's not to us to say we're the best church. It is a sober and profound stewardship that each one here has been entrusted in such a time as we're facing. The local church, along with the family, is designed to make us fully human. It is the transformative womb for human flourishing and cultural flourishing. It is at the very heart of God and his work in the world. I see this in many ways, practically, and one of the great joys this summer has been for me to visit new families and individuals who God is calling to be a part of Christ's community, particularly the Leewood campus. In the summer, I found myself in a wonderful new family's home not far from here. Matt and Abby Sogard moved to Kansas City from Denver. Here's their beautiful kids. And uh, I wanted to picture a little family, but I think Matt and Abby are shy. They're wonderful, but here is their family, four beautiful kids. It's Kate, Luke, Dan, and precious Ellie. They left Denver, and their number one prayer is, Lord, give us a local church family. And uh, in my conversation with this precious family who just moved here, they described how life-giving Christ's community is to them. Allie wrote me this note. I wish I could read all of it, but she said, our prayers were answered when we came to Christ's community the very first Sunday. She said there were many things, but one of the things we caught was Christ's community's love for children, for our kids, for the children's ministry, student ministry, and the awesome kids' preschool that our son Dan is so excited to be a part of. And then she said this. She says, we have loved the heartfelt worship we find at Christ's community. And we know each week we will hear a message straight from God's word. She said, we hear challenging sermons, inspiring sermons, tearful sermons. That has to be me on the teaching team. I'm the teariest guy of them all. And we come away each week thankful that we are being fed. Listen to what she said what she says. We are being fed meat rather than drinking milk. The cross, the yoke, the Bible, the church, and the city. City, we say we believe we are designed to give ourselves away in our neighborhoods, our city, and our world. From the very inception of Christ's community, on Liz and my hearts when we came 23 years ago is that God in some way 
perhaps in a small way but a meaningful way, that God would use Christ's community for generations to touch his globe and to bring in spiritual awakening, to play some role in spiritual awakening in our needy culture. Our culture was needy 23 years ago, but it is desperately needy now. We have had a heart from the very beginning to touch our city, to partner with other gospel-centered people to impact our city, to be salt and light in our world. The prophet Jeremiah writes these words to God's covenant people who are exiled into Babylon. And he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now notice what he says to them. He says, Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. They may multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city. This word welfare means shalom. It means flourishing of all, wholeness. Seek the flourishing of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, the city's behalf, for its flourishing or wholeness or wonder, wonderful welfare-ness, we'd say, or completeness. You will find shalom or wholeness. In the city, you will find it as you seek it. This text is embedded in our hearts. Jeremiah reminds God's covenant people to be faithfully present where God has called them in this moment, to be committed to the flourishing of others in our city, to be committed in our hearts to common grace for the common good. The gospel propels us that way. Christ calls us to be salt and light and to love his broken world. And all broken people in our workplace to honor him in our work and our vocations, to be his presence there in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, with our extension ministry partners that we are locked arms with, to bring shalom and encourage shalom and the glory of God in our needy city. One of the couples that beautifully indwells our core values the threads of this beautiful tapestry of faithful presence is just a part of their lives. They've been a part of Christ's community, Lima Campus, for 12 years. Mark and Sharon Tompkins serve on our elder leadership team. Our elders serve for four years, and then they're off for sabbatical. I love this picture, <laughs> because here they are in a bucolic country setting. The sunflowers are pretty cool, don't you think, as Kansas folks... Mark and Sharon have given their heart to invest in their lives, and they are worshiping Christ this morning in our downtown campus. If you were to go on a Sunday morning to one of our ministry partners, Christian Fellowship Baptist Church, you would often see Mark picking up the basin and towel threaded with the fabric of faithfulness and these core values that he bleeds. And he is serving our sister church, running the sound for Christian fellowship on truth. Mark and Sharon are wonderful apprentices of Jesus. 
that's the last thing they wanted me to do is put a picture of them up, but I asked them if they would please let me because that's what they're like. We believe at the very core of our being that local church as God designed it through his holy scriptures as the spirit empowers her is at the very heart of God's redemptive enterprise in the world. It is the hope of the world. My bride Liz and I have had the rare privilege of being a part of Christ's community from its beginning. In those days, our hearts, minds, souls, pocketbooks were all in. This journey of faith has been amazing. And I have to tell you that both of us, as we look at what God is doing across the city through our campuses and our new young leaders, we couldn't be more excited of what Christ's community is in her future and to have some little part in it. We're all in. We believe greater things are yet to come that God is faithful, his promises are rock solid. And we want to challenge all of you this morning, whether you're newer, you're just visiting, whether you've been around a long time, will you join us? Will you passionately love what Jesus loves? Will you love his church and his world? And will you love what we love? Because we believe, how inadequate, however inadequate we are, we love what Jesus loves here. And we have ordered our time, our talent, our affections around that. The cross, the yoke, the Bible, the church, the city. We live at an extraordinary moment in our nation's history and in a very broken city. Our director of preschool, Bonnie Trainer, is an amazing person. For years, she and her staff have literally touched thousands of families within a circumference of this Leewood campus. Bonnie was sharing with me recently about one morning a mom walked into the preschool with tears in her eyes, tagging along behind her was her young son. Bonnie noticed her tears. And Bonnie said, would you like to come sit in my office a minute? And this woman reluctantly went into this safe place and they closed the door. And it was at that point when this woman described her big house, beautiful house, but her desperate home nearby. The night before, her husband had beaten her, had yelled all kinds of obscenities as she lay in a fetal position in her kitchen as her children watched. And Christ's community was there. An institutional presence and a personal presence. And Bonnie was able to guide this precious woman to safety, to transformation, and to new life. So where would this woman be? Where would these precious small children be for a life if Christ's community hadn't been there 
for them. Christ's community hadn't been the feet and arms and heart of these people in this place, in this city. So will you roll up your sleeves? Will you be all in with us? Will you give your life to Christ wherever you are and to his mission in the world? Will you pray as you've never prayed before? Will you serve as you've never served before? Will you give as you've never served before? This is my challenge to all of us. In the summer of 2006, a good friend of Christ's community stood right here. This year he passed away and he loved Christ's community. He came with a message to us. Chuck Colson looked out at this congregation and he said these words, Christ's community, be the church. Be the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, exalt our Lord Jesus at this moment. Speak into the crevasses of everyone's heart and mind, wherever they are in their spiritual life. Draw them closer to you and to your work in the world and to your glorious church. For your glory alone. Amen.